everyone. Thanks for listening to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. I, I haven't said that in, in quite some time, Greg. <laughs> it's, I missed you, Russ. I know. Well, okay. So we've got these other podcasts where we do talk to each other all the time, but uh, it's been it's been a long time since we've done the, the the business thing. We've taken a little break, and you know, summer, right? Getting ready yeah. for summer. Kids leaving school. All these crazy things that happen. Vacations, right? Vacations. Yes, I did Italy. That was that was amazing. As you know, I, I we we have another podcast where um uh really I we we were talking about this believe it or not, on a pickleball podcast about my trip to Italy. Um, and the one story that I didn't mention on that was that I went to the Vatican and they didn't have a pickleball court, but they did have a tennis court. And uh, I, I, I just think that's wrong. They've, they've got to they've get one of those there. Well, I, <laughs> or I, convert hear, it, right? I hear that the, uh, the word from the man above is coming down saying, we're converting that tennis court into two pickleball courts. <laughs> that's what right? I heard. It's, it's got to be. It's gotta yeah. be. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I, I didn't see a pickleball court in uh Italy. Um interesting. Yeah. Not one of the pizza places or pasta places that I went. <laughs> none of the espresso espresso shops. None, none exactly. Of them. Nothing. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, we've we've been, you know, busy doing our thing. You've you've been out to Vegas a bunch. You've you've done some other I trips have. as well and We've uh, we finally landed back here uh, in the seats together to, to talk business, which is great. I've been looking forward to this day for a very long time because I need exactly. my business juices. You know what happens, right? Both of us, you know, our day jobs. I'm a CEO, founder of a company, mm-hmm. done it for a very long time, over 21 years now. And you just kind of get into a routine. And I've said this many times on this podcast is – I really look forward to meeting our guests and just talking about different topics and learning from these fantastic people that we have on our show because it helps me become a better CEO. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, the other thing that we have in common, Greg, is we both are working with like small, medium-sized businesses, which I feel like that's like the greatest people to work with. They're so much fun because like- you know, they need help in certain areas and you can offer that advice. And the thing is, we've both been there, done that too. You know, like there's so much of that stuff where we've either done it ourselves or we've, we've seen other people and, and, and helped them through that. So I think it's such a great audience to work with, which is one of the reasons why I'm excited about our guest for today, who also works with uh, SMBs. He's a business growth specialist. He's got a book, uh, Listen, Innovate and Grow, which I've got up on my pod, uh, my, uh, my iPad here, uh, ready to ask you all kinds of questions about it. Um, Michael, for having thank me. you so Great much to be for joining here. us today. So Michael Haynes, author, um, business owner, you work with people in Australia, you work with people here in the States and Canada, all over the, all over the world. Tell us what sure, you're helping small businesses So do. I'm, like you said, a business growth specialist. So my focus and passion is really working with a lot of your service-based companies, a lot of your professional service firms. So I do a lot of work with the likes of accounting firms, law firms, technology firms, a lot of your niche consulting firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one of my clients is a project management consulting firm. And I work with the CEOs of the business leaders of those organizations of how they can drive growth through acquiring and retaining and growing their business clients. So I am really your SMB B2B specialists, really working with these service-based firms, their leaders to show them how they can go about building and getting the growth and impact in those firms that they seek through business clients. Because I truly believe B2B is the way to be for small, medium businesses to get the growth and success they're seeking. 
you know, you mentioned you mentioned legal is one of the industries that uh, you work with. And aren't there certain guidelines that as far as marketing goes that some attorneys or some types of attorneys are allowed yeah, to do? So there, there are some uh, requirements with around with respect to what you can do from a, yeah, marketing and from a promotional standpoint. But really, when I'm working with my client across the board, where it's whether it's being the accounting firm, the IT firm, I'm really showing them how they use a combination of three things. True strategic uh, B2B marketing, business innovation, and B2B sales, the three combined. How do you use those to attract, acquire, nurture, and work with those prospects and clients? Um, Because true strategic B2B marketing is a lot more than just the advertising and promotion. It's really what you're delivering to those prospects and uh, clients in terms of what they're seeking. So uh, you'd said right before that B2B is the place to be, which by the way, I love, love that. Um, Why, why is that? Why, why is getting like the, the, Business to business, business. B2B is really good for a number of reasons. Um, One, uh, in terms of, you know, once you really understand the the landscape, you really understand what your business buyers or decision makers are looking for. When you deliver to them, they will stick with you. Um, Even if they, if those decision makers leave and move companies, once you have them once, they will spend, they will spend more. Mm -hmm. They will be a great source of referrals, um, leading you into other clients, other opportunities. So that's one thing. So that whole customer stickiness and the ability to grow, um, that momentum breeding momentum as well, um, is another key aspect as well. In many cases, often in B2B, sometimes your competition can be uh, much more limited um, in terms of by virtue, if you're niching down and really know how to deliver effectively, um, you can get a lot of wins that way with, you know, long-term contracts, higher spend, um, those referrals, um, you know, your, your, that client advocacy can Mm -hmm. have massive impact. And also in the B2B space now, the, there used to be that phrase, no one gets fired for hiring IBM. Well, those days are pretty much over now. Mid-markets, large corporates are very much open to having a smaller, nimble organization um, who have the expertise, the hunger to deliver and to deliver well. So there's, there's lots of opportunities mm-hmm. to get into the bigger end of town, which is what a lot of the clients I work with, they're seeking to get into those bigger, um, you know, uh, banks and, uh, you know, government organizations, larger And there, there's a lot right. more opportunity to that now because those business decision makers have discovered that if I go with these niche, you know, highly um, expertise, well-serviced companies are going to give me the, the expertise and the quality I expect that they can get, um, they can get much better value and much better business outcomes than necessarily going with the tried and true bigger organizations. My first gig, got through because um, exactly that global marketing director of a professional services firm in the HR space said, well, you know, Michael, we tried one of the big strategy firms, which remain name nameless. You couldn't possibly go wrong. Even at my top rate, (laughs) you will deliver much more and much better. And that's how I got my very first gig as an independent consultant back in 2011 was for exactly that. Well, and see, that's the thing. Like specialists are fantastic, right? Like when you, when you have these kind of niche things, (laughs) niche, niche, niche. (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm still on Italian time, so um, the, these uh, these niches that like you can fill with these people that are just total specialists in that. It's it's I think it's great, right? Like that, and that's you know like the company that I'm with now. This uh, I'm I'm with a company called Beeswax, and we like you know we're developing databases and applications, and it, it's like that's our specialty. And we've got you know enterprise clients and 
you know, SMBs hiring us to, to really like take that to the top. And then we've got specialists in ours that, that are specializing in all these different things. Right. So that's, that's our organization. When I was running my business and it was, you know, just me and, you know, I had subcontractors and, you know, some, some like minor staff, like just trying to get stuff done, but nothing, nothing big, nothing huge. It was a smallish business. I had B2C clients and I had B2B clients that my, 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 my consumer clients were so much harder to get. I felt like the, the B2B, it was a little bit easier, which when I first started though, I thought that would be the harder area to get into, but I was able to get like, you know, I had like, uh, you know, uh, the Oakland A's, um, uh, they were one of my clients, right? Ritz Carlton hotels was one of my clients, like having these bigger clients and, the, the money you make from that, you know, is amplified over time because we had these contracts. Whereas generally with the consumers, it was like a one-off deal. So I had to work and hustle so much more for that. And once I got one contract, the next contract was so much easier to get. Now I, I said though, I was in that mindset of uh, B2B being a challenge for me, right? What do you say, you know, as far as like uh, somebody that is not doing any B2B sales right now. They're mainly just focused on, on, on consumers, uh, consuming their product. Uh, how do they break into this? How do they do it? How do they get over that hurdle of like, I'm a little afraid to, to, to start so great question, you know, selling Russ. And the first thing you need to be doing is what I call listening. And listening for me is all about getting an in-depth understanding on three levels. Understanding you as a business owner and what you're trying to achieve with your business, with your company. Understanding your market. So you need to really have do, be doing some market research to really understand in those industries and geographic markets that you're either currently serving or seeking to serve to really understand what are the trends, what are the developments, what are the requirements. And you can do those through a variety of means to really unpack and see are there opportunities that are right for your business. And then you also need to have an understanding at the customer level. But for those of us in B2B, we must understand at a buyer level. So you have to be doing that, gaining that depth of understanding, doing that listening to really understand are the opportunities there? What are the right opportunities and what are the ones to start first? Um, because in some cases, there may be significant opportunities um, that you can really hone in on. Um, it may or may not, but you have to do that, that listening, uh, what I call listening, which is really doing that in-depth uh, analyzing, understanding on those three levels to see where are the right opportunities and then go forth from there. And then one of the other things that you're a real proponent yeah. of is innovation, right? Not only do you need to listen and understand kind of what the trends are, where the market's going, kind of where your competitive advantages are, where your weaknesses are, right? You have to be honest with yourself. And I think a lot of business owners struggle with that. Right. And they go, oh, my gosh, you know, they don't really want to look within to identify too many of the weaknesses because it just hurts their ego. But you have to innovate and you have to figure out, like, where am I going to win? How am I going to win? And in learning more about you, you're a strong believer in really identifying that. And, and tell me, how do you walk? So great question, Greg. Process? So first of all, to listen, innovate, grow, it is the name of my company, it's the name of my book, and it is the framework, the process that I work with clients through. So first we will do that in-depth listening to really make sure we understand where the business is going, uh, where they're at, where they're looking to go. We understand the markets, the industries, the markets, and the geographic markets they're currently serving, those are looking into, getting understanding of customer buyer needs. That tells us where to focus. What are the priorities? What are the requirements? 
and then what are the potential gaps that may exist in those uh, industries, markets, customers we're focusing on. Then we look to look to innovate. And by innovation, I'm talking business innovation, which can be new introductions and or improvements. And we look across holistically across five categories. It could be with respect to your products. It could be respect to your services. It could be organizational innovation. So are there opportunities for joint ventures, collaboration, partnerships, co-creations? Um, we look at your uh, or um, process innovations so your systems and processes. Then we also look at marketing innovations in terms of what are those strategic marketing B2B initiatives, buyer-driven initiatives that we should be looking into. And so you take a look across all of those and you see what are those levers. It might be major improvements. It might be minor that you might want to introduce um, in order to take advantage of some of those market opportunities that you've identified. So one example, for example, Greg, could be um, a product innovation in terms of, let's say, coming up with a solution bundle. I've been working with one of my clients to come up with a holistic uh, uh, consulting package offering comprised of uh, advice, analysis, uh, customer support, and turning one of their solutions into a platform. And we're going to make it a whole complete package offering. So that's one example of an innovation. Um, it could be about introducing new uh, marketing strategies. So I'm working with my accounting client on account-based strategies. So we're going to identify their top, they've got five or six key clients that they're really looking to grow and do things with. And we're going to develop very um, specific account plans on how we're going to nurture build and develop those relationships and and doing so holistically through education, through events, through some partnering with uh, a similar IT firm that also targets their same group. So those are just a couple of examples, um, but yet, but it's about business innovation, not necessarily invention, inventing something totally new. And it's not always technology related, but looking holistically across the business in line with market customer needs. You know, one of the follow-up questions that, Michael, when I was in the tech industry, I, I was working with this, it was a startup company, we had the software, and we were working with a lot of large organizations like Disney, NBC, a lot of large organizations, because we were working yeah. with large data, going back and forth, annotations, figuring out how to work with multiple locations. And what we found was we had this product that each large client wanted something different. So we had to keep innovating for each individual client, but we never right. came up with one product. We had all of these, you know, these offshoots for each, each uh, you know, potential client or existing client. And we, it, it was tough for the business to grow because we never actually had something that we could serve everybody with. And I was just wondering, like, how do you balance like how much innovation you do for a big client, because obviously, you know, you're saying the accounting firm you're working with has five or six different clients that they're really wanting to focus on and grow versus coming up with innovations that will work for all of. You know, okay, great question, audience. Greg. So that comes up to a couple of things. One, it goes back to doing that listening to understanding what are some of the needs and priorities. And ideally, if you can find common needs and priorities, um, if you're talking about technology service features or service that are common across a number of your clients and prospects, um, so it, where you can so where you can find needs and requirements that exist 
that are common to more than just one customer, preferably a group of customers and hopefully ones that will be potentially profitable. That's one element, Greg. Then the second element will become in terms of how you construct some of your product solutions and bundles. And there are different ways you can um, construct your offerings. Uh, there's one approach that they, we, we call um, the naked solution. So you come up, you identify your, your, your client needs and you come up with a set of, of uh, features uh, for that offering. It could be, let's say, certain service levels, certain kinds of reporting and certain listen, executive engagement events. I'm just making this up. And we're going to provide that to all the technology companies. So because they've all identified that's all all those common needs that they want. Then you might have some certain other value added features um, that others can purchase on because you've identified that there are some who've identified other sets of needs that might be, let's say, enhanced management service support. Um, They may want um, some specialized training in certain areas. They may be looking for some customized research report. And these are other things that a few others have identified that they'll pay and pay a premium for Those are added on that they can add on if they so choose. So there are different ways on how you can construct um, your your solution offerings. Um, You can either make them highly customized by a particular vertical or coming up with one common set to all and then a limited set of options based, again, by your understanding of your market and customer need that you can uh, provide as ones that they can, um, you know, uh, purchase separately. But again, it all goes back to understanding your customers and understanding them well so you can be able to make those kinds of um, decisions and, and incorporate that as opposed to your, to your design and how you're going to be doing the pricing and the options. Yeah, you know, I, I always like the idea, too, of, of just like making stuff modular. You know, so that like you have this module, yeah. you know, like modularization. I'm, I don't know if that's a real word, but I'm going to I'm going to say it because, you know, Italy time. Um, but like making things like like that so that you can, you know, plug and play, you can scale certain features, you can upgrade certain features without hurting the whole thing. But also, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm talking more of like a product right now, but this could also apply to your processes and the way that you work too. Like I do this particular process for this client. How can I replicate that and and do that same thing and, and trying to make it as modular as possible? That's, that's, that's always something that's, that's a win. Um, However, in dealing with certain clients, they may have certain practices where you have to adapt to, especially now this is selling, I guess, more to maybe like an enterprise client, right? This is the IBM that you mentioned earlier, or some of the big clients that Greg was talking to, like Disney, I'm sure they're going to have their own way of doing things, right? right? And the way that they want their vendors to work, right? Is that something that you see typically like with, with small business as well? Or is that something where maybe, oh shoot, maybe I shouldn't approach these enterprise businesses and I should only focus on the smaller business. Uh, like, so enterprise, and I've worked with uh, a lot of enterprise uh, clients because my corporate life was on the enterprise side. So being a buyer on the enterprise side. So the, the principles of B2B all still apply in both an SMB and an enterprise environment. In enterprise, you would typically have more stakeholders involved. Um, in SMB, it can range from three to six, um, sometimes even a bit more if it's a larger, more medium size um, enterprise, it can vary as well. It still goes back to understanding the buyers, uh, it's about being buyer driven. So you need to know who makes the decision and also who's influencing the decision. What are their priorities and how they buy? You have to have that in-depth understanding because all of your marketing activities, all of your business development activities, marketing and sales, because I believe those two go together, all need to be what I call about being 
air-driven, being buyer-driven, being air-driven. In other words, it's about providing advice, insights, and recommendations to those decision-makers and or influencers that are involved in the decision-making. That needs to be focus of your business development activities uh, and being very, um, very focused in delivering to that. And so once you know who are those relevant stakeholders, what's important to them, then it's, it's about providing those in the right kinds of ways to start the dialogue, start the engagement, and to be getting things moving. So both apply, both are um, totally applicable. It will take a fair bit of listening and research, planning and preparation, um, so that you're you're delivering and providing the right kinds of advice, insights, and recommendations. But that's a focus of what your marketing and sales activities need to be. You know, thinking of, thinking about that, there's there's the whole sales aspect of that as well. When you're dealing with six people and six decision makers at a company, or you know, one, <laughs> there's a different timeline there and a different amount of activity that you need to put into it and and, and energy that you need to put into it versus dealing with a team of you know people of 20, 30 people over at, on the enterprise side. How do you recommend or do you recommend to your clients any kind of pricing differences between, you know, the different sizes of businesses that they're dealing with? Is is there any any sort of like, um, uh, I don't know, enterprise fee, you know, um, that's well, enterprise tax that's added? Like, see, you different, yeah, different organizations are going to require different things, but it's about going back to those first principles again, and it's about operating from a buyer perspective. And irrespective of whether you're selling to an SMB or you're selling into, you know, Bank of America in the IT division, you have a set of stakeholders and what buyers are looking for. They're looking for that guidance. They're looking for that expertise. Uh, and expertise is the number one big thing that buyers are looking for. And they are looking for air. They want advice, insights, and recommendations. You need to be focusing on enabling and empowering your buyers to be delivering to that and understanding what that means in the particular context of that particular you know, we'll say IT, SMB, IT company, or if it's a financial services firm, uh, and in their IT division, for those decision makers, you need to understand what are those things that they are looking for and providing those those aspects to them, which you may be providing through a variety of different means. Um, it could be through content. It, it could be through engagement and providing opportunities to interact with those decision makers. It might be having workshops where you're, you're helping them to work through solutions and how they're going to achieve their objectives. Uh, and so that you can come up with the right solutions and then you will price it accordingly. So pricing is important. You're going to price appropriately, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is about understanding who the decision makers are and it is about providing advice, insights, recommendations at that level of depth and expertise that they are looking for, which is where many B2B sellers are falling off because there's a lot of old style, I'm going to show up and do the pitch, show up and throw up as I call it, Buyers do not want to be sold to, buyers want to buy from. They do their own research, they do their own decision-making, and they're looking for connecting of the dots. Um, there's a lot of what I call content vomit out there because you know there's more blogs, articles, and white papers than I know what to do with. Senior decision-makers want someone, want an organization to help them distill, do the road mapping, make sense of it, make sense of all this. Greg says I should do this. Russ says I should do this. Michael says I should do that. What the hell should we be doing in this context for our company? They want someone to navigate the dots and say, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to do it. With whom you may need to be doing it with me, which is part with Michael, but we also need Greg for certain elements. We need Russ's 
company for certain elements and providing that mutual action plan and roadmap. That is what buyers are looking for. And so your marketing and sales, they need to work together as one. And it is really, in my view, marketing is about enabling buyers with providing that air, advice, insights, and recommendations, which could be through content, events, roundtables, a whole raft of things based on how your buyers buy. And your salespeople are to help facilitate those conversations around that road mapping, sense making, and you know what happens after the sale. But the two should be working together. And it is about air-driven marketing and sales business development. That is how you succeed in this day and age now. Um, but they're still resistant on selling the old way, I'll make the pitch. No one wants to be pitched to. And they may listen to the pitch and they'll put it aside, but buyers do a lot of their own self-education and research. I can quote a whole number of studies that show across industries they do a lot um, of that. In a professional services context, uh, it is self-service online research, listening to experts are, are two of the top two in which matters and communities and groups are three of the top ways in which business decision makers, both SMB, mid-market, and large corporates, how they do their buying decisions. So our business development activities, which is marketing and sales together, must be in alignment with that. I, I, I feel like that's always, like I've seen that. I'm not going to say always, but I feel like that's, sometimes those two departments just don't mix very well you know like i i worked in radio and it was like the sales yep. and marketing teams were just at it because you know the sales wanted to promise everything and just do it and then the marketing team was like really you're, you you're, you're absolutely right <laughs> we're well. gonna pull this off like we can't actually deliver and it, 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 it fights, it, a, lot. fights um, a lot when yeah. i'm working with yeah. um and one of the things i found with smb clients where either they're creating a new marketing and sales team or the organization is open to change Bring I bring the, bring the two together. I was just been working with a fintech client as their outsourced CEO for their new CMO for their new company division, and we've created revenue ops. It's marketing and sales together, and how we brought the, the roles in. They work hand in hand in glove from day one, and right from the recruitment, yeah. we're bringing them in you bring to them work in. integrated right from day one. Um, because this has to stop. Because buyers don't buy marketing versus sales they have their own way of buying which is not linear it is very much around advice insights all the things i've talked about marketing and sales have to work together to facilitate mm. that because it's not all about ad advertising and social media anymore it is far more beyond that it is much more strategic it is more engagement driven there's more dialogue there's more um, strategy there's more expertise that is required so the whole business development function has to change in terms of its behavior of how it operates. See, and that's why that's why Greg and I got along so well. You know, sales and marketing. <laughs> we did sales and marketing. Of we course, you've do. got such a good understanding of marketing. So that's the that's the great. I've got an understanding of sales. He's got an understanding of marketing. So like the two of us just just always have always gelled well together because of that. That's I, I think that's that's part of the uh, and more the, companies uh, the wins need to in our operate. relationship as you two are marketing and sales together and really understanding what marketing is. Cause I find even many CEOs, et cetera, those that I've, I've discussed, I've worked with, talked to who've been to the likes of Harvard and stuff, they have a tactical, they have a very limited view of what marketing is and it's not true strategic B2B. And I would say 90% right. of senior leaders, yeah. Yeah. SMB, mid-market corporate, they do not know what marketing is. They think email, they think social media, they think advertising. Those are tactics. Yeah, those, those you guys update the website, right? They do not understand B two B growth strategy. They do not understand 
B2B strategic marketing. And they're not implementing those things, which is where we right. need to be in order to really succeed in this new environment. So the bar has, has to come up, the skill set and knowledge has to raise exponentially to meet where buyers are at now. So uh, here's proof that Greg and I, we get sales and we get marketing. We're going to step away for one second to tell you about a couple of those other podcasts. Uh, <laughs> and also, I guess that that involves listening as well. So uh, we're going to let you know about a couple of podcasts that we host here, uh, just in case you haven't heard of them. Take a quick listen. Join us. I'm Bridgie and my Uncle Greg as we talk every aspect of the game we love. Pickleball. This sport is taking the nation by storm, and we've seen more and more pickleball facilities, products, and tournaments popping up. Each episode, we'll be sharing our journey to improve our game and feature special guests who will share their favorite pickleball stories. We will also be reviewing all types of products from paddles to shoes and other equipment with the reps of the different manufacturers. We will provide some great insight to help you decide what's right for your game. You will get to hear from all the influential people within the pickleball community. So join us as we get passionate about pickleball on Third Shot Podcast. And there you go. That's the other podcasts. That's a couple of them, at least. Uh, more to come from what I hear. That's the crazy thing about us. We're just going to um, we're hook microphones just constantly to us. And whatever we do, we're just going to record it. And that's going to become a podcast. Yeah. I do want to do one about the barbecue, though. I think that would be fun. I got to do something. We've been talking but, about that. I know. I know. I was thinking, what, what about this for a time? I don't know if this is already out there. Cooking with fire. This? Come on, that's fun. We may want to Google it first, like though, because someone yeah. might have yeah. yeah. that. I, I think so. Well, I'm thinking <laughs> playing with fire, cooking with fire. I don't know. I literally came up with that when I was putting pork chops on earlier. So <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Um, okay. So uh, we've been talking about, like, you know, the, 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 the B2B um, environment out there. Um, I'm guessing in the last 30 minutes, that environment has changed. Because technology is changing like every minute, right? Like this whole, you know, the AI thing, the machine learning, chat GPT, all of this stuff that's that's really changing so much of the landscape that we're in with, you know, this AI driven society. Now, if you don't have AI in your product, is it a product? <laughs> like, hey, that's, that's what people are, are going with, it seems now. Um, how can businesses, you know, just like stay ahead of the competition? How can they continue on? How can they, you know, continue to serve um, with this ever-changing uh, great question. Landscape. It is a challenging one, and it goes back to, you know, um, the L in my title. You know, it's about listening, and it's about listening through a variety of, of means. Um, you really need to be tapped in um, to what's going on for your relevant industries. So um, I always tell my clients, you know, you should be a member of at least, you know, one or two relevant industry and professional associations that are relevant to your business. Um, industry and uh, professional associations are a great way to stay on top of things because they have, you know, the events, the webinars, the publications and so forth. Um, so, you know, those industry um, uh, professional associations, the relevant publications as well for those industry and professions and uh, uh um, trades that you're operating in. Um, podcasts. Podcasts are a great source of information. I think that's another great place where you can stay on top of things as well. And then also your, your online communities and groups. Um, communities and groups have 
have really grown exponentially. There's a lot out there, both online and offline. Um, that's a great way to meet peers, understand what's going on in the competition, um, you know, getting insights. So I would say industry and professional associations, you know, getting involved in some relevant community groups by your function area, by your industry. Those are some key ways going to relevant events so that you can help stay on the pulse um, of what's going on because things are developing and changing. Um, but those are kind of some three practical sources that I use myself in order to try to stay up to date with what's going on. Because we don't have time to read everything. Um, so you want to be thinking of other ways that you can stay on top um, and be engaged, be able to contribute to the discussions and ask questions as well. So those are some of the ones I would suggest. But they should take time yes, to read should. your book. Yes, they should. Just, just Thanks, <laughs> right. Okay, that's it. I got to throw that in. They should take time to read, listen, innovate, grow, a book by uh, Michael. So I do have a question though about you know with as many things that are developing as quickly as they're developing right now, like one of the things that you believe in is really putting together yeah. a good business plan. And I'm curious for a company that, you know, is off the ground already and, you know, trying to keep up and stay ahead of the competition, how often should you evaluate your business plan or how often should you enhance it and evolve it? Uh, you know, is this an annual thing? Is it a kind of a needs thing where, oh my gosh, there's a new competitor in the marketplace. We need to kind of stay ahead of them. When do you work with your teams and, and so, figure out when we Greg, should the big it? exercise of going through developing your, your business plan, your business strategy, um, is probably mainly an annual event to do kind of do that whole fill that, you know, the research analysis and kind of, you know, developing it fully. But I'm very big on my clients to do the quarterly review and reset. I'm very big on end of each quarter you meet um, and, you know, I, it doesn't have to be overly onerous. It can even be like, a, you know, 60, 90 minutes, reviewing how did you perform in the quarter, what's happening, is there anything we should be knowing about from a competitive point of view, anything from a customer point of view. So I'm big on the quarterly review and reset where you may need to make some modifications in terms of you know things that you're going to be doing next quarter, the quarter after, where do we need to make those changes? So I'm very big on the quarterly review and reset and then I guess doing the major iteration on the business plan um, on an annual business, on an annual basis. And I don't believe by the way that your, your business strategy so, document, unlike in big corporates, it shouldn't be this, you know, war and peace with, you know, many hundreds and hundreds of pages. I'm very big <laughs> on like, okay, let's go 10 to 12 slides max, if that. I just find that whole process to be absolutely Ludicrous, and I can say that with confidence, having worked in corporate and gone through that cycle <laughs> of doing the you know 250 slide PowerPoint deck of the um, strategy plan, which by halfway the in the next financial year you're starting it over, but it's nothing actually getting done. It's really about really identifying for us as small and medium businesses what are going to be those two or three key action initiatives and developing action plans to really take those and moving forward. I think mm -hmm. it's going to take the full year just to put a 250-slide well, deck. That's a whole other topic for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we don't want our folks going down that road. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, one of the things uh, – you, you mentioned this in your book. And actually, I, th I think that um, company culture um, should be yeah. a part of that business plan. 
right? Like, so adding company culture and then discussing that, do you think even in those, those 11 slides you're trying to integrate in? Um, um, I think company, company culture? culture should be addressed because company culture will tie into how do you engage and treat your employees and your employees, that is the X factor. That's an enabler to any strategy. Any one of us can write a strategy document, mm-hmm. be five pages or 10 pages, but having the right staff, having your right teams to be able to execute on that is quite critical. And how you treat your staff, how you're going to empower them, enable them, um, that's critical. Innovation requires that, you know, all team members are on board, you know, do, are they willing and able to contribute their ideas and are they going to be recognized for it? So culture is a very big, important component, a component and how you treat your employees is critical because your employees can be some of your best advocates and champions as well. So that is, that is quite a critical uh, component yeah. um, is that whole company culture. Yeah. And, and, and one of the reasons why, I, I mean, I saw it in the book, but also, you know, like uh, when I did like my business plan, I also, I did a really short business plan. It was probably, you know, 10 to 11 slides or something just because I didn't, I was like, who's going to read this? This is mainly for me. Like, this is my document of how things are going to go. But people that I hire, people that I bring onto my company, they're going to see this and they should understand why I'm doing this, you know, how we should be as a company and what we're trying to do, what our overall, you know, mission is and how they're, they're a part of that. So I, I almost... I, I almost felt like I, and, and, you know, maybe it's the, you know, um, just the way I am, but I almost feel most of my business plan was really like, uh, like a company culture document. It was, it was interesting to me that when I looked back at it years later, I was like, huh, that's all like that. That was my main focus because I really just, I wanted to, I, I had a mission of like, just being this, this better company, this honest company, this company that, you know, like did all of these and really without talking about company culture I, I couldn't i couldn't people you know, are the are the enabler so. it's it, it's the key it's, to success everything it's how you're going to deliver the yeah. right client customer experience it's how you're going to gain clients it's how you're going to be able to create a strong brand for the company uh, it drives innovation it is a massive key it is the enabler mm-hmm. it is the enabler so yeah, well, it's, it's how you can take on that growth, you know, like you, like if without it, like without having, you know, other people understanding what your company is, uh, how are you going to take on that growth? Um, okay. So the other way to take on growth too is, is technology. Um, what are, what are some, like, is there a way to use technology to like, you know, uh, get more B2B sales to like help out that B2B sales strategy? What technology do you advise there? Or technology you know, definitely like, no. Are you just going to no. answer chat GPT? I, 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 that, <laughs> okay, you can get me on a whole tirade about that. Um, I'm fully relying on chat GPT <laughs> and not putting in the advice, insights, recommendations, your flair, your why as to what's required will be a recipe for disaster. It can fast track and help start the content process, but there's still, you still need to deliver that element of air uh, that I call still has to be So chat GPT mm-hmm. aside, develop your strategy, your plan first. What do you need to deliver to deliver to those clients you seek to serve, those, uh, those co- companies, those clients you seek to serve? Then where does technology fit in enabling you to execute? And then determining what technology requirements you may need. So you may need more things around um, business intelligence to help you uh, leverage some of the insights you're gathering or gathering the right kinds of insights to understand your customers better. You may want to consider marketing automation platform, ones which have uh, account-based management, ABM capabilities to help you better uh, develop some of your um, 
C-level, a one-to-many account-based plan. So having a, a solution that will enable you to do that. So your strategy first, what are you going to need? And then be picking the relevant tools and solutions that are going to enable you to execute on that strategy. So that's how I tend to work with my clients and guiding them as to what are the things that we need and as to why you need them. Thank you so much, Michael. It was really good having you on. And I really recommend everybody, if you need a consultant to help your business grow, give Michael a call. Yeah, thank you, Michael, so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you might want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I want your company to succeed, and we are happy to take your questions. We'd also love to hear your suggestions for future episode. If there's an area of your business where you need some solid advice or help, let us know, and we might be able to build an entire episode around it and get your questions answered. You can reach out to us on our website at diyforbusinesspodcast.com. There's a link in the podcast description. Uh, We also love talking to business owners. So if that's you, you just want to join us, chat about your business, how you got started, all that. It's great. We love doing that as well. So reach out on the website and join us. Uh, We thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone.